I wonder if you could just imagine with me for just a minute what, what would it be like if there were so many of us who were absolutely passionate about what Jesus has done for us. Imagine for a minute that the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ impacted our hearts in such a way that it changed our city, like literally changed our city. Like what would happen if we were so ingrained with the truth of what's ha- what, what happened in the life of Jesus Christ and what he says will happen throughout eternity from this point on, what's happened past, what's, what's happening present, what's going to happen in the, in the future. Imagine what could take place in our city. Imagine what, what could happen. We talked uh, the, over the last couple of weeks about this idea from First Peter that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Like, what, what would it take for that to happen? And, and is that something that's present in our minds that says, like, I want other people to know about the truth that's found in the scriptures. I want them to understand it. I want them to feel it. I want them to be impacted by it. Because that, my friends, is what God wants from you. That is the obedience that comes from the gospel. The obedience that takes place in our life is to to be compassionate, is to be loving, is to be uh, engulfed in the idea that God loves people and that he went to the cross for them, and that our responsibility as his people is to go to our city, to go to our friends, to go to our neighbors, to go to the people that we're in school with, to go to whoever it is, our family members. It is to go to them and to preach to them the gospel with our lives and with the story of Jesus Christ. To, 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 to show them that our lives are so deeply ingrained in this story of who Jesus is that we want to emulate him. We, we want to show that we are followers of him. We want to um, embrace the idea that this, that this is an all-of-life thing and it's not just a Sunday thing. We want to embrace the idea that this is an, an all of life thing, and not just when, with, when I'm with my Christian friends, that this is an all of life thing, and it's not just to make my life better or just to give me peace, although those things can happen, but it is so that people may see our good deeds and as a result say, what in the world is going on? What is happening? What's taking place? I was in the office of uh, um, one of the, the heads of Sedexo, and Sedexo is um, one of the largest providers of like cafeteria food. So you could love them or hate them depending on how you feel about cafeteria food. But Sedexo is the company that helped us put on THX. And in reality, we couldn't have put on THX at the level that we did this last year um, without Sedexo. THX is what we do on Thanksgiving Day. We take a, a full, complete meal, a turkey, Christmas tree, and gifts, and give it to various families in the community that need help. And we get their names, we get their phone numbers, we get their addresses from uh, the school, and we go from there. But I was sitting in the office with this gal, and, and I was trying to communicate to her, we are working towards trying to figure out how to serve more people 
Um, I know we did 220 families last year, but what if we did 1,000? And, and, and I'm, I, I'm just investigating. I'm not saying that's what we're doing yet. And she was like, well, I, you know, I mean, we, what we can see about that, but like, um, yeah, we, can, we could do that, but is that possible? And then she came down to this point where she said, she just like looked at me and said, why are you doing this? <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? Like, what, what's, what, am I in trouble right now? Like, what, am I um, hurting you or something along those lines? And, and I said, I'm not sure I know what you mean. She said, like, what, what's, like what's driving you to do this? Like, what's, what's driving you? And I think what she was getting at is, what is your motivation for this? What's your motivation for wanting to serve these people? I was talking to Brandon Haverland, one of our other, um, our, he's our, our family ministries director here at the church, and he had said that he had had a, a conversation with her earlier um, that went something like this. Like we, so many people come to us and ask us to do events all the time. And in fact, churches do this. And she says, we're just not involved with them because it's oftentimes about serving themselves. It's, it's for them. It's for their community. It's, uh, it's really to put on an event for what they're doing. And so we don't do pro bono stuff for that. And in fact, we did pay for uh, some labor, I believe, but I'm, I'm sure that we got the better end of the deal. But she was saying, like, this is, this is why we want to work with you. And so I've, I've heard this a couple of times. And so the reason why I bring that up is, is this, is that people in our community, at least one, has seen our good deeds, and our hope is that she's going to glorify God on the day of visitation, that she's going to see this and say, this is selfless service. This is what this is coming from. Now, here's, here's the problem that often comes with the desire to serve our community. Um, years and years ago, um, what happened was that the gospel the gospel was emphasized and emphasized and emphasized, but then there were people that came along and said, you know what, the gospel is simply serving people. That is the totality of the gospel. And when you serve somebody, you're sharing the gospel with them. And pretty soon that took shape, and it was called the social gospel. It was called, it was called the social gospel because it was simply about uh, meeting uh, felt needs of people and, and really nothing else. It, it's about humanitarian work, and so the, the gospel message was distorted, in a sense, because it was, it was really reduced to humanitarian efforts. Now, everybody, for all time, is in danger of doing this. And many times, many churches are very afraid of being about humanitarian efforts because they are, uh, they are worried about becoming social gospel-type people. What we see from the scriptures, though, is that when the gospel fully uh, infects our lives, when it gets into every area of who we are, when it, when it is actually like really has meaning in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls, like something takes place and something like it, it completely changes who we are. The reason why I started this morning with just saying, like, imagine for a minute, like if all of us were like embracing this idea and, and, and it changed our city was essentially to say this, like, the gospel must be first and foremost in our hearts and minds, and it must be something that's propelling every good deed, and it is for a purpose. It is so we represent who our God is. 
So we were talking about the kingdom of God um, a, a while ago in a, in a series. I can't remember how long ago it was, but we're talking about the kingdom of God. And really, that's something that needs to be ingrained into our teaching. And the reason is this, is that the kingdom of God, the concept of the kingdom of God is, is so uh, important to who we are. Because Jesus came in uh, as a baby, as um, uh, born of a virgin, and he lives a perfect life. And when he comes into his ministry, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he's saying is he's saying, I'm inaugurating my kingdom. And then what he does is he lives perfectly. He lives absolutely perfect, perfectly. And, and he, his life is, uh, is an example to all of us to how we are supposed to live. His life is, is actually the way that Christians are supposed to operate and in so many ways. And so we want to exemplify the life of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is showing us, like, this is what it's like to live within the context of the kingdom of God, to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't make a ton of sense unless you understand something. Everything that's going on in our world right now, all of the pain points that we see, and we mention them often because I want you to be aware of what the kingdom of man is versus the kingdom of God. And those pain points are so many times uh, just everything that's happening in, in politics right now. We, the government is shut down. As of right now, I, I, maybe they've had a, vo a vote since then, I'm not sure. But the government is shut down right now because our politicians can't get along and they can't figure anything out. You look at the infighting between these two political parties. You look at the, um, the wrestling match that's happening between different worldviews and, and things of, of that nature. You look at all of this stuff that's taking place. You look at the Me Too movement and the other movements that are associated with that. You look at Black Lives Matter and you look at all of those things. You look at all of that stuff. All of those things are the result of and they are the culmination of the kingdom of man. What does man do when he is in charge, when he, is, when he is king, when all of us operate and say, you know what, I'm a part of the kingdom of man. You know, this is what humanity is doing, and this is what it's like. This is how we've evolved, and so I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of man. And every single one of us is prone to, prone to wandering in that direction and becoming a part of that kingdom, and in fact, just existing there. And, and then... You go to church one day, or maybe you grew up in the church, or what have you, and you pray a prayer. Now, I'm, not, I'm not knocking on this, so let me finish before uh, you might get upset. But you pray a prayer to receive Christ. And then you go on living as a citizen of the kingdom of man. That is our story. That is our life. That's what's going on with the church. People say that the church is shrinking today. They believe that the church is, is falling apart and that um, it's going away, and many people are hoping for this. I'll tell you what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that all of the churches with weak sauce beliefs would die so that there are fewer of us, and yet we are firm believers in what the gospel is and that that would permeate all of life. 
Because I want to tell you, the vast majority of believers today do not have the gospel as the central tenet of their life that causes them to come into the idea of, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, and I am not a, a citizen of the kingdom of man. And I will live in that reality. I will live in the reality of, uh, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so what does that take to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. What does it look like to be somebody who is living in that way? And let me tell you, if there's 240, 230 people in this room right now, that's probably about what it is. If that's what's, if that's what's going on, what would happen if there were 230 people that were absolutely sold out to this idea and you came into life, and you, and you basically said, and you were able to see things afresh. And be, you began to see what things are associated with what kingdom. Discord in my relationships. The, the, my, my, my marriage constantly having, having fights and arguments and things like that, having an unhealthy relationship, those kinds of things. Kingdom of man stuff. Kingdom of, of man. The, 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 the desire for more and more and more, having to work yourself in, in, into the ground so that you feel good about yourself and you destroy your family. Kingdom of man stuff. The desire for, for, uh, for, for sex or uh, for some type of connection with a woman so much or with a man for that matter, so much that you enter into pornography and that you enter into uh, wrong relationships and that you're, you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or you're entering into same-sex relationships or you're, what, whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, or what have you, that's kingdom of man stuff. That's kingdom of man stuff. That's saying, I believe that man knows best and that man should supersede who God is. That's kingdom of man stuff. But what if you went into life, what if there were 200 and whatever people that go into life and say, you know what, I am now going to identify, I'm going to name those things, that this is kingdom of man, and this is kingdom of man, but living as a citizen of the king, uh, of, uh, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, living as that person means that my world changes, and that life is different. What if that took place? What would, what, what would happen in our city? See, because what I see over and over again is that I see us as a church. And, and I just, I don't want to come across as, as though we're arrogant. First of all, there's fantastic churches in our city that I love and respect, those pastors, those church bodies, and things like that, and, and they're incredible people. So we're not on a plane above everybody else by any stretch of the imagination. We have a lot of maturing to do, and you know what? We're going to learn from those churches, and they have taught us, and I go to them regularly for that. So let me make that clear, but, but I think we're a part of something else. We are a multi-generational church in some ways, in other ways we're not, but what we do have is we have a vast number of young people. And I believe that in order to do something in this generation, in this time, 
we're going to have to innovate and we're going to have to do things in a new way. And it, it, it is going to have to be an all of life thing if we're going to make an impact in our city. We are going to have to earn the right to be heard. And what that means is it's 200 plus people, 300, if 300, whatever, if you include all of the church and our kids and, and, and probably more than that with everybody that comes to church here. But if we're going to impact our city, it's going to take all of us being engulfed in that in every way, engulfed in that kingdom of God. Now, how do you get there? That's, that's the vision. That's the future. How do you get there? We have something called the four hills that we'll die on. These are four things that are, that are absolutely important to our church, and they are the central tenets of who we are as a church, and they dictate how we operate. They, they show what it means for us to, to move ahead in this city, in this time, and in this place. And what it means is this, is that the, this is the driving force behind what we're doing. When you have humanitarian efforts and there's no uh, driving force, there's no motivation behind that that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ, then really it's just humanitarian effort. But when it's driven by the gospel, when it's driven by these uh, four tenets that we have of our church, then what takes place is absolute gospel impact. We can point people to who Jesus Christ is, and as a result, we have the potential to see things change. Let me show you what these things are. Uh, early on in the church, in fact, I, I want to say it was within the first year, um, we, uh, we said this, we are a church that is gospel-centered with a missional mindset that engages culture while focused on truly making disciples. Let me say it again. We are a church that is gospel-centered with a missional mindset that engages culture while focused on truly making disciples. And those four things are this. It is the centrality. And when I say the centrality, I mean it is the crux of the issue for us. It is the thing. It's the driving force. It's everything that we are. And then we go to this missional mindset. Because of the gospel, there's something in our life that we feel like we need to do. And it's not just going overseas, although that's included, but it is being a missionary right here and right now. We want to engage our culture. And so we don't want to get locked into just one generation because sooner or later, all of us here are, are, are not going to be cool anymore. I know it's hard to believe, but... You're not. Skinny jeans and all. It's, it's going to go away, all right? Uh, it, it's, it's going to go away. How are we going to continue to engage with our culture and for the purpose of ultimately making disciples? So we want to make disciples. We want to see other people become followers of Jesus Christ and in every way. What I said this last week was this, was that when we look at what Jesus said to his disciples just before his ascension, just before he left, he gave them kind of this, this final word that basically said this, go into all the world, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I want you to make disciples, and I want you to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so what we know is this, is that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower, if you've received the gospel, 
if you've received the message, the life, the times, the, what Jesus brings to us, if you've received that by faith, then what's going to happen is that in an ongoing fashion, you're progressively going to see your life change. You're, you're progressively going to have things become different in your life. And it means this, that the sin that you feel stuck in, the things that you are battling, the, the pain that you feel on a regular basis, the whatever it is, it is progressively going to be falling away because of this. When you got saved, you were not a part of his kingdom. You are a part of the kingdom of man. And salvation is something that is ongoing. It's, it's continual. It's you're progressively leaving the kingdom of man and you're going into the kingdom of God. You're going into that kingdom and you're operating as though you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. The Christian life is, yes, receiving the gospel, but it is in an ongoing fashion. It is living out the gospel. It's gospel replication, if you will, in your life in an everyday fashion. It is showing who Jesus is and what he's done in every part of your life. That's what we mean when we say gospel centrality. Now, if you were to look with me at Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1 has some pretty cool stuff in it. Now, I, while you're turning there, Galatians chapter 1, we'll, we'll pick it up in, uh, in verse 6 here in just a second. But while you're turning there, as I was growing up as a kid, what I thought was that the gospel is a message that says Jesus Christ went to the cross, he died for you, and he was risen from the grave, and you should trust Jesus. And so therefore you become saved. And then after that, it was my job to go on and to start fixing up and cleaning up my life. What I could not figure out is that I could not figure out how to be a good person. Some of you are just naturally good, and as a result, sometimes if you're a believer, you look down your nose at other people, and so your arrogance and your pride is your great sin. My arrogance and my pride, my, my sin led me to debauchery, led me to living an unclean life. That was my sin. I could not figure out how to overcome those things. And let me tell you why. No one had ever communicated to me that the gospel is not just the beginning point of your Christian life, but the gospel is everything for your Christian life. The gospel is not just the way that you start the Christian life. The gospel is the way that you're sustained in the Christian life. It's continually coming back to the gospel and, and living in that reality. Now look at what the Apostle Paul says. You'll see this. If you start reading through, uh, especially the New Testament, uh, if you start reading through that and the epistles, uh, those are the letters, everything but the uh, first uh, four books of the New Testament, essentially, is, uh, is, is, is what that is, you'll begin to see that everything relates to what Jesus did on the cross and that the, those writers uh, are telling us that you must relate your life back to the gospel. Now look at this. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this to a church in Galatia. He says, I'm astonished... That, you're, that you are so quickly dis deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ 
and are turning to a different gospel. Now, what we see from that is that he's talking to some people who are Christians. They're in a church, but what they're doing is instead of sticking with the real gospel, they've turned to something else. What Paul is saying, it's like it's a different gospel. Like that's something else. And what he says is this. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. That, my friends, is strong language. Uh, <laughs> I watch Phineas and Ferb all the time uh, with my kids. It's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Um, and uh, the, I don't know, Doofenshmirtz, Dr. Doofenshmirtz, whatever. Every show says, curse you, whatever the platypus. What's his name? Harry? Perry. Perry the platypus. There you go. Thank you. You watch that a lot? Yeah. <laughs> It is a great show. It's so hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Crack up with my kids. My wife says I get into this trance-like state when I start watching cartoons, and it's true. I just I love, love them sometimes, but not as much as the gospel. Okay, all right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> and this is that's a horrible thing to say about this because it's totally turning something funny, but Paul is saying curse you. Curse the person. Maybe not curse at them, but you are cursed when you bring another gospel. When, when you bring something, this is the way that you're saved. Now, many times we are not doing that uh, with full knowledge. Most of the time we're not trying to get people into another gospel or adding something to the gospel. But we're doing it in a way that's like we think that this is what the way that it should be. We think that this is what is and what we what we do not find out or what we do not understand is that it's just ingrained in Christian culture. It's just ingrained in who we are. It's ingrained in, in what things are, are like today. And Paul says this in verse 10 of this. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And what's he saying? He's saying that a different gospel, besides the true and the living gospel, the different gospel is ultimately motivated by a desire to please man. It's ultimately motivated by a desire to have our fellow man think well of us. It's ultimately motivated by the kingdom of man, and it's not motivated by the kingdom of God. That's what it is. And every single one of us has to get into our mind. I am prone to wander. I'm prone to leave the God I love. I'm prone to leave the gospel. Every single one of us has a continual propensity to make a new gospel. Every single one of us. And in fact, you can walk through your daily life and you can look at the things of your life and you can say, what is the gospel that I was believing in this moment? 
I wasn't believing the gospel that was causing me to be a part of the, 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 the kingdom of God. I was believing the gospel that is of the kingdom of man. And the gospel of the kingdom of man is ultimately about self-fulfillment, individual self-fulfillment. It's ultimately about you do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it uh, for you and for your own glory. And we can just walk through the list, guys, of everything that's going on in our world right now. We can just walk through. I, I need to ask one of my staff members to go into this room right here. And there is something that's beeping in there. And uh, I, I want you to hit reset on the fire thing. What's that? Got it. Thank you so much. Oh, amen. Yes, thank you, Ryan. Um, yeah, we had a, a compressor uh, go off a few weeks ago. And so these are just regular breaks in the sermon that we just plan sometimes. So we're believing a gospel that is of the kingdom of man and not the true and the living gospel. And Paul says he has strong language for that. Although what I'm not saying, and I don't believe what Paul is saying, is that when you believe those in a temporary basis and go, man, that's the gospel that I'm, that I'm, uh, I'm living, it's not saying, oh, you're cursed then and now you need to get your salvation back. That's not what we're saying. It's saying this, I'm joining in with what humanity is doing. I'm joining in with all of this turmoil that's going on in our world. I'm joining in with everything that's happening in the political system. I'm joining in with what's happening in our world with marriage and all of this stuff. I'm believing another gospel. And the, the, the way that they are, ultimately, it's about pleasing man. It's about pleasing yourself. And so if you were to skip to Galatians chapter 2 and pick it up in verse 11 there, um, We'll get to a little bit of a, the heart of the issue here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. The Apostle Paul says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, and who is Cephas? Cephas is Peter. Cephas is like, I don't know, that's his, their, their bro name uh, for him. <laughs> that's his real name or something. But he calls him Cephas. And uh, like sometimes people call me uh, uh, MCP, my initials. I used to have MCP emblazoned on my big blue truck. And so sometimes they call me that, you know, friends call me that. So Paul is a friend of Peter. All right, all that aside, that was not a good example, but all that aside. Uh, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Oh, I got some fighting words here. They got up in each other's grill. Paul went up to Peter and said, you want to go? Like what's, he's ready to throw down with him. He said, I opposed him to his face. Because why? Why did he get up in Peter's grill? And it's because he stood condemned. Whoa. Those are fighting words in the church. I don't know if you know this or not. He stood condemned. Uh, and this is why. Paul says, here's my big issue with Peter. And he says, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So he's saying, before all these people came from James, he was like hanging out with people that aren't church people. He was hanging out with them. He was having a good time. They're called Gentiles. He says, so he's hanging out with non-church people. He's chilling with them. He's having a good time. Everything's going great. Some other people show up and something else happens. Some church people show up. Some of these holier-than-thou types show up and what was going on. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, kind of, kind of a lot there, but what he 
is saying here, all of a sudden, these church people come into the mix. And Peter's like, oh, I can't hang out with those people anymore. And so he starts going along with what they're doing. And what are they doing? Well, they're the circumcision party. Well, what's the circumcision party? Well, in Old Testament law, the sign that you were a part of God's covenant, that you were with God, was that you were circumcised. I know that sounds weird. It just is the way that it was. That's what God demanded. That's what the Jews did. So when Jesus came, uh, many of those rules and regulations are wiped out, and it's no longer physical some circumcision, but it's what, what we'd call circumcision of the heart. And so it's, it's, it's no longer literal, now it's figurative in some ways. So now you have these church people that come in and say, no, 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 no. The literal uh, circumcision still exists. And what this means and what this looks like is these are church people who are legalists. These are people who are by the letter and by the book and all of this stuff, well-meaning, but they, they cannot get out of their head. They cannot understand uh, the grace of Jesus Christ. And all that they're thinking about is they're thinking about the rules. How do I participate with the rules? And how do I condemn other people who are not going about and living by the rules? And so they come into the picture, and Peter goes, I'm not going to hang out with these uncircumcised Gentiles anymore. Now I'm going to hang out with the church people. And what's happening? It's unintentional racism. It's, it's racism. The Gentiles are a race. The Jews are the circumcision party. It's racism. And Paul's calling it out in the church, and he's saying, do you not understand that this is going on? Like, you're refusing to hang out with these people now. It's, it's just racism at its core. And so what's he say here? He says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Peter, a leader in the church, in fact, Jesus says, it seems to imply, Peter, on this rock, you are Peter, on, on you, I'm going to build my church. Whatever that entirely meant, the Catholics think it means one thing, you know, what have you. But Peter is obviously a really big deal in the church. And here he is, he is going along with a different gospel, and now he's engaging in racism? Do you see how easy it would be for you and I if Peter, the rock upon which Jesus is going to build his church, can get messed up? Guess what? You and me can get messed up. You and me can begin to believe wrongly about things. And so it says in verse 14, but when I saw, listen to this, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, let me look at it again here, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What this is saying it's possible to know the story of the gospel and yet not walk in the gospel. See, what Paul's calling out is he's saying racism is a symptom of another gospel. When you have a hard time loving and caring about the sojourner, 
the immigrant. When, when we have a, a difficult time loving people of other cultures, that is not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. So kingdom of man says, get angry, get mad, do crazy things when things like this take place, when racism takes place. And it's certainly not everybody is that way. Kingdom of God says this, when you walk in step with who Jesus is, you don't have to get angry about it and you don't have to engage in it. What it says is this, is that you're walking in step with who Jesus is. You're walking in step with what Jesus has done for you. See, gospel centrality means this, that all of life is in relation to what Jesus has done on the cross. Every bit of our life is in relation to the cross. And so what this looks like is this, is that when we start telling you and we say, like, be good for goodness sake, just be a good person so that, you, so that you can be good. And we don't attach that to who Jesus ultimately is. And we don't connect it to, to the cross and what Jesus has done. When we do not do that, what happens is we create a bunch of people who are legalists in so many ways. We create a, a group of people who are, are just engulfed in just becoming good people. But the gospel says that when you walk in step with what Jesus has done for you, when you walk in step with that, then you can begin to put those things away. You, be, you can begin to walk in these right ways. 2 Peter 1.9 says this, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And what, what's Peter saying there? He's saying that when you don't have these qualities, which he had just mentioned here, when, when, when you don't have patience and kindness and, and virtue and all of these things in your life, when you're not a Christian who's producing good things, what you've forgotten is that you've been cleansed from your former sins. You've forgotten the gospel. You, when, when we're not walking in those things, we're not seeing what Jesus has done for us. And in fact, it says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now that's a mouthful, but what it just said is this, is that the grace of God, the mercy of God, what God has done for us through Jesus Christ on the cross, what he has done for us actually not just gets us in the door, it's not like we're paying off a bouncer to get into the party. It's, it's, it's not like I've done enough good. No, it's, it's, it's that when we understand how this all took place, 
that though I'm a wretched sinner and though I have nothing to offer God and though I was engaged in debauchery and though I, there was no reason for him to love me, I'm such damaged goods. I'm somebody who has such immense baggage in life. And yet, God sees me and he says, I want to lavish my love and my grace and my mercy on you. And in fact, he awakens my heart and allows me to see that. And when that takes place, when he awakens my heart and I say yes to Jesus, yes, Jesus, I want to trust you. I don't want to try to fix myself on my own. I don't want to try to fix the things going on in my life on my own. When I say yes to Jesus, what happens is that it's not just the beginning of my Christian life, but now it's a constant and, and perpetual just um, listening to and abiding in and drinking in the gospel over and over again. And what does it do for you? It trains us. It trains us to what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And it causes us to live self-controlled, upright lives. What would happen if as a result of believing and, and having faith in and trusting God that his gospel is true, entering into his kingdom and living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we're continually understanding and knowing and believing like these things in my life, this thing, that thing, the other thing, these, these feelings, these, these passions, this, and perhaps even depression or anxiety or things of these, this nature. What happened if I were to say, you know, those are a part of the kingdom of man. And Jesus went to the cross in order so that I could let go of all of that stuff, and I could walk in newness of life, that I could walk as an obedient disciple of Jesus as I continually remember, and I remember, and I remember, and I remember the gospel. What could take place in our church? What could happen in our city? What could take place all the way around us? With instead of you and I coming to church just so that we could feel better about ourselves, we'd be reminded again of what the gospel is. We'd be reminded again of God's word to us. Now, what, what is that doing for us? It is continually reminding us and continually leading us to renounce the things in our life that belong to the kingdom of man. When you read your Bible... When you're with Christian uh, brothers and sisters, when you come to church and you make a point of it to come to church, and I realize it's, it's in vogue today <clears throat> to come to church like once a month or something like that, that, that is, it, I, I just want to tell you that that is not going to lead you in the right direction. Because of this, you're not going to have close relationships. You're not going to be hearing the word spoken over you. You're not going to be resonating to the songs of God together, which drive your life, drive you back to the gospel every single week. That is our goal. I've, I've told our worship team before, and, and, and Ryan 
our worship pastor, I've told him, like, I want people to leave singing the gospel. I want it to be resonating in your heart. You've got to be with God's people. You've got to be a part of it. You've got to be in the word. You've got to be with Christian brothers and sisters so that on a regular basis, you begin to see the areas of your life that need to be renounced. Whether it's money, sex, or power. Not to just completely renounce those things, but to not turn them into God things, into a new gospel. I'm saved by the amount of money that I make. Or I'm not saved because I don't make much money. Or I'm saved by the amount of sex that I have. And, and, or what have you. It's a different gospel. And when you're a part of the church on a regular basis, you begin to renounce those things. You begin to renounce what's going on in our world. Let me ask you something. Is the gospel a constant consideration in your life? Are you walking in step with the gospel? If you've never thought about it before, I want to tell you, there's probably work to be done because our consistent propensity is to believe another gospel. And the gospel is this. I'm doing fine. Yeah, I've, you know, I'm, I'm cool. I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing my, my, my church thing occasionally. I'm doing whatever. It's, it's a consistent propensity towards coming up with a new gospel. And you know what's not happening? We're not being trained to renounce ungodliness. We're being trained to fall into the same trap that the church has fallen into for ages upon ages upon ages, and that is to believe I'm doing just fine. That is only point one of, of uh, four points that I was going to make today. Um, I thought this might happen. It typically does. Um, but uh, I want to plead with you uh, for two things. Uh, one is that you would show up next week. And really, the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that, that and that, and that, you get the idea. But, um, but I especially want you to be here next week. And it's because I want to share with you my heart and my passion for, uh, for what, where I see God leading us in this coming year. My hope is that it's going to be innovative. My hope is that you're going to engage with it. And my hope is that we're going to see some massive stuff happen. So next week, Big Vision Sunday. And I, I want to tie it into your lives so it'll, it'll matter to you. And so I'm asking you to be here. Um, the second thing that I, I need to bring up is the, uh, that it is Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday. And uh, we will do sermons on abortion in the future. I want to say that um, uh, real quick, that in a room this size, it's impossible that there's nobody in here that hasn't had an abortion. And I just want you to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. It is for you. And he went to the cross, yes, for that sin and also for my gossip and, and, and for my debauchery and for whatever. There, there's nobody here who sits higher than anybody else. Receive the gospel even for that sin. Yes, you are forgiven if you confess your sins to Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, so every year, or at least the last year, maybe the last two years, we've done this baby bottle campaign with Hope Pregnancy Clinic. And the, the baby bottle campaign is a way for, for us to help 
uh, Hope Pregnancy Center, which we wholeheartedly buy into because it, it's not necessarily just picketing an abortion clinic. It is creating an alternative to abortion procedures, abortion being killing a child versus why don't we keep the child alive, um, you know, help you understand how much you're going to love this, this kid, or let's find them an, an adoptive home, finding ways of doing that. So we want to support them wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, so I want to invite you to do that. So their mission, Hope Pregnancy Clinic, is to empower women who are unprepared for pregnancy to make healthy, life-affirming decisions. We are a free medical clinic offering preg pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, options uh, uh, counseling, and uh, options counseling, and community referrals. And so there is um, there's a ton of stuff that they do. We have some people at our church that serve over there. Um, they typically serve between 25 and 30 patients every week. Last year, they gave uh, they gave 654 pregnancy tests out to patients. They had 1,007 patient patient visits. They are doing some good stuff, and so we want to participate with them. Here's what you can do. You can take a, a bottle with you home today. I believe they're out here at uh, Connect Central. You can take it home. You fill it with coins, cash, or checks, whatever you want to, want to do with that. Bring it back to the church in five weeks. I believe that's February 25th, if my math is correct, um, and, uh, and then we'll give that to them. I, I cannot remember what the number was, but it was a significant amount of money that we raised last year. Meant to do that at the beginning of the sermon. I got carried away. And so um, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would impassion us uh, for your gospel, Lord, that it would resonate in our hearts, that you would do something amazing in our city. But Lord, I pray that we'd know and understand that it begins with us. It begins with who we are um, and, and the brokenness that we have. And Lord, to see who you are as a result. And so really the beginning of the Christian life begins with understanding who you are. And Lord, living that out, walking that out on a regular basis in our lives. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us. And I pray that you would give us vision and passion and how to carry that out. God, would you do something amazing in your church here. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.